Father, we just, um, we just come before you as, as people who, are, who love you. We know that you're God and we're not. And we just really ask that you would speak to us today, that you would, you would make our hearts more into like your heart, Father. We just, really, we just really put ourselves into your hands and we pray that we hear from you, from your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, two weeks ago, I tried to teach this topic. My topic is God's heart for the poor. And um, unusually, because I hardly ever, ever get colds. I mean, I actually even, sounds terrible, kind of pride myself that I can be around anybody with a cold and I'm not going to get it. And um, two weeks ago, before I taught, like on Thursday, I think I was really sick. And I, you know, one of those colds where, oh, you just, your head just feels like it's going to, you know, explode. And so Bruce said, I'll teach for you. So then he taught that Sunday. So I was going to teach this Sunday, and I got the cold back. And I thought, this time though, I thought, wait a minute. You can do this once, but you're going to do it twice to me? I'm speaking to the enemy here. I wasn't talking to Bruce. Um, And, yeah. And, you know, I said, wait a minute, something is really fishy here. Because Bruce, once again, graciously said, I'll teach, I'll teach for you on Sunday. And I said, you know what? There's got to be something about this topic that God wants us to hear. And so I need to just push through. And then yesterday I was still feeling pretty lousy. And, um, and so I got, I got home from the brunch, which was incredible, by the way. Donna did a fantastic job. It was amazing. Um, and I got home and I just felt lousy. And so then I, I, um, asked my prayer, prayer team, my prayer support group to pray for me because I just felt like my head hurt too much to even work on it. And, and, um, so I, I shot off that email, you know, within a few minutes, I got some responses from people and I started feeling better. And by last night I didn't have a cold anymore. And so I feel great today. So, you know, um, I get by with a little help from my friends, okay? You should too. I'm serious. Everybody needs a support group. Well, I'm really actually glad. You know how God takes things that, I mean, I don't believe God put a cold on me two weeks ago. I don't believe that. Um, However, I believe that God brings good out of everything that happens. Some things happened this week that makes this teaching more important now than it was two weeks ago. Um, First of all, um, Phil Strout, who is, for those of you who don't know, he's our director of Vineyard, like national, and a great, great guy. And he's come out with a letter, and I think he was pretty brave to to write this letter. And let me... um, Okay, this is, I put, we made copies of the letter on our welcome table. If you want to see it, the whole thing, you can also go to Vineyard Association of Churches' website, and it's right there, too. Vineyard Movement, as an association of churches that leans toward the lost, the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus, We do so in obedience to the command of Scripture as we engage both our empathy and our resources to... Oh, I can't read it. To case... Oh, to the cause... Okay, I'll read it up here. 
Oh, to ease the plight of the marginalized, the dehumanized, and those in need of refuge. Okay, so that's a statement that he made this week. And um, it's been something, what he says has been something that's been really burning in my heart. Another thing that happened this week is that um, this was one of those total accidents that happened. And it seems like a little thing, but for me it was a huge thing. I was, um, I was going over to a friend's house. Um, this past week, and they live right next to another group of people that I know very well, too, and who are friends, and their houses in the dark look identical to me, okay? So it's really dark. It was a really dark night, and so I went to the wrong house, okay? Which is not unusual for me. I went to the wrong house, and a woman came to the door, a, a, a beautiful elegant woman. I mean, just poised, just beautiful. And she came to the door. She was in her early 20s, probably, 1920. And um, I said, oh, I got the wrong house, didn't I? I said, do you know where the green plates live? And so they, t- they said, yeah, they're right next to her, which I already figured that out, but I said that anyway. And she said, you don't recognize me, do you? And I said, no, I don't. And she gave me her name. And I said, oh, my. Now, this was a woman that when she was a little girl, Freedom Outreach had put out all those um, little cards. They do that from time to time where you can pray for a specific child. And I don't like to just have a card. I like to get to know the people I'm praying for. There's just something about that personal relationship. So I had, I had made somewhat of a personal relationship with her, and she came over to my house. She liked our puppies. Um, she was a, an adorable, just an adorable girl. And then we lost contact with her um, through the foster care system. At least I did. Lost that. And here, this is probably 10 years later, and this woman is now on her way to becoming a lawyer. Now, honestly, that is, this is my, my take on it, okay? I think that's Freedom Outreach's work. God's work through Freedom Outreach. This woman, this woman now has been taken from one life to another life, and she is on a trajectory. And, you know, the care that she's getting is still happening because on her break, she came to stay with this family. The, the, you understand what I'm saying? So I was very excited that, that you can see the work. I mean, even a card on your refrigerator door. You can see years later something amazing happen. So I'm going to talk about God's heart for the poor today. And you'll find that if you do some of your own research, that a lot of places on the website or books will say there are about two to 300 verses Um, about the poor, which is a lot in Scripture. However, about, um, I guess it's about 45 years ago now, at a seminary near Chicago, there were about 35 first-year students that decided to study this topic, and they went through the whole Bible together, and they found over 2,000 Scriptures related to the poor. So they even took you know, the Good Samaritan story and and places like that. But over 2,000, they also found out that in the Old Testament, idolatry is by far the biggest theme. But the second huge theme is the poor. 
and our relationship to the poor. And I personally think idolatry and the poor and how we treat the poor, poor people go together. They're connected. Because if you have idols, you tend to be very self-oriented and you don't want to help people who are poor. You tend to be just self-oriented. So one of the people, one of the students, decided to cut out all the places of the poor because they felt in all the years that they had been believers, they had never heard one teaching about the poor and our relationship as believers to the poor. They'd never heard anything. And so this one guy cut out all those 2,000 places in Scripture. It, it shredded the Bible. It shredded it. Now, he went on to preach all over the country, and he always took that Bible with him. And he would say, and he preached mo- mainly to evangelicals, and he said, your Bible is holy, and that doesn't mean it's God-oriented or god present. It means that it's full of holes. And then he would teach about people's relationship to the poor. You know, if the amount, um, the amount of a topic in the Bible is any indication, we've got to get this area. We've got to get it. We've got to grow in it. And the thing is, I'm talking to people here, kind of preaching to the choir. I think we are very, very Um, good at when somebody has a crisis, when somebody, you know, I I went to um, the Paris Foundation um, thing that Chris Puikin started, and honestly, there were so many people from our church there. We were giving, serving food to, to homeless people in Elkton area. There were so many people there from our church that we were falling all over each other. So I understand, I'm not, this is not a rebuke. I understand, but I think there's so much more growth that I can do and that we all can do that I I just think we need to keep this in mind. I'm taking a course this um, semester from Vineyard Institute called Theology of the Poor. And so some of this I'm taking from there. But when you talk about theology of the poor, the first thing you need to understand is that we are, every one of us, Everybody on the whole earth, every single person is extremely valuable. I love Genesis. It's one of my favorite books. In the beginning, God said, let me, let me make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, it's really unheard of. I mean, it's just incredible. Think about it, that God created us in his image. Like in in the ancient Near East, kings would go to war, they'd go to battle, and then they would come back and they would create an image of the God that they felt helped them in that battle. And they'd put that image that they made and they'd put it in the temple And they believed that then the God lived there. See, that was stolen from God's plan, that whole idea. Because what God did is he created us. Our bodies are the temple of God. And then we are created, we're the image. And then he lives within us. Do you get that? And and the enemy stole that picture. 
But the fact is, God did this first. He made each one of us valuable. And as that we really understand this, as we understand our value, each one of us, then, there's, then it's totally inconsistent to look at any group of people or any person as not valuable. Do you see? And it, it starts with us knowing that we're valuable and that's how God sees us. And then it flows out. And that grace flows out to every single person that they're valuable to, no matter what they're doing, no matter where they're economic or, they're, or the choices they make. Every person is valuable, and that's how God sees it. And then the scripture, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Some more verses on our value. Uh Uh-oh. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is humankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower. Now, most of your translations say, than the angels, um, and crown them with glory and honor. The actual, I looked it up in Blue Letter Bible, which gives you the actual Hebrew there. The word is Elohim, which means God. In other words, and I, what I think is that people, translators, are a little bit overwhelmed by saying that we're a little lower than God, so they just put it, they put angels there. New, uh, the New American Standard, which is really good at translation, says... God. So, you know, what it should say, that we are a little lower than God, and, and he crowned us with glory and honor. That is who we are. We have value. So, God thinks differently about our possessions than we do, especially how Americans think about our possessions. Um, our society has taught us from the time we were children that we own things, That's not how God thinks about it. The land belongs to me. And you are only strangers. God speaking. I'm not speaking. I'm God speaking here. (laughs) Um, The land belongs to me and you are only strangers. That word also can be translated refugees and guests of mine. See, something God puts in my mind over and over and over again is that I'm a citizen of heaven. That that is, my, that is my citizenship. Maybe I have dual citizenship, but I am a, I'm definitely a citizen of heaven. And therefore, I have to have different thinking than we have in our society, right? All our possessions are owned by God. Everything is owned by God. Therefore, we are stewards, not owners. And that changes, honestly, how we think about our possessions, if you can get that into your heart and spirit, um, and you'll see that that is just a different way of thinking than we've been taught. The early church got this. In Acts four thirty-two to 35, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Isn't that incredible? 
I mean, Jesus himself has said the poor will be with us always on this earth, in this time period. But here, in the early church, there were no needy people among them. There, um, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Okay, um, Dick Ray last week said something that I thought was just so, so powerful. Um, he said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it com- he compels us then to do something. That it's not just about us coming together, and certainly it's about worshiping God, but that coming down of the Holy Spirit compels us. And we see this with Jesus. You know, this is right after his, his oh, Okay, those are the two things I just said. Okay, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He just was baptized in water, and then the dove came down, so the baptism of the Spirit was there. He is, he's totally drenched by the Holy Spirit. And so, look, one of the things he says is, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Amen. Who gets the good news? The poor, the poor. Um, who are the poor? We really need to look at Scripture. See, this is, a, this is not a political statement. This is theology from Scripture. Amen. This is theology of the poor. And we can all agree on what Scripture says here. Um, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. These are the poor. As this, I mean, this is over and over again. I mean, I'm telling you, there are so many scriptures. I felt really overwhelmed. I had to select. I mean, I came up with 200 scriptures I liked. And then I had to just kind of sit in them for several days and say, well, what do you want me to emphasize? Because I didn't think you wanted me just to stand up here and give you 200 scriptures. Although, honestly, God says it so much better than I do. Um, But he, God, defends the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. Sometimes that's called stranger in scripture. Sometimes that's called refugee. Sometimes it's called immigrant. These are the, this is the three categories. The fatherless, fatherless, the orphan, and the stranger among us. Those are the three categories because they're the most defenseless in our society, right? Um, He cares deeply, deeply about the poor. Look at this. For Jehovah hears the cries of his needy ones, his needy ones. Do you understand? He identifies with the poor. We know that. I mean, when Jesus came, he didn't come as a king. He came as a fairly poor person. When he came, he had no place to stay, no home. And then soon afterwards, he had to flee from his area and go into Egypt, into a country that was not his own. So because he was going to be killed. That's a good definition of a refugee. So he had to flee. Um, So God identifies. These are his people. These are his people, just as the Jews are his people or we're his people because we love him. The poor are his people. 
He will take care of the helpless and poor when they cry to him, for they have no one else to defend them. He feels compassion for the weak and needy and will rescue them. He will save them from oppression and from violence, for their lives are precious. That word I looked up, it means precious. It means like precious like gold. It means highly exalted, believe it or not. They are precious to him. Now look at this. These are great verses. There's so many of these of, you know, what do you get out of this? You know, that's, we're Americans, right? What's in it for us? Look at this. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. You want to be blessed? He who has compassion on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he is given. In other words, I mean, think of that concept. You're, when you give to poor people, you are actually lending to the Lord. He's taking out a loan with you, and you're lending him something, and he will give back. I mean, that's, that's an image that it's very hard for me to understand because God puts himself in a position that he's beholden to us. Some bad things will happen. There are a lot of bad things. I'm picking a very few that will happen if we don't give to the poor. I think this is God being a little bit upset. What do you mean by crushing my people? There's my people identifying with the poor people again and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Anyone who oppresses the poor is insulting God who made them. To help the poor is to honor God. Okay? Isn't that great? He protects the immigrants and cares for the orphans and widows, but he turns topsy-turvy the plans of the wicked. He who shuts his ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in his own time of need. So, you know, we, we talk sometimes about what stops our prayers, You know, sometimes people, we all get into this where there are times where it just doesn't seem like God hears our prayers. And when that happens, there are certain things that you can look at. One is, um, if you're mean to your spouse, God will not hear your prayers. Okay, so you look at your life and you go, am I being mean to my spouse? You know, oh, I am. Well, maybe I better clear up that area. Okay, yeah. Now, wait, you cannot imitate Bob. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Actually, in Scripture, it actually says if a man is mean to his wife. But I broadened it out because I think think we wives can be mean, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Amen. Okay. Actually, amen means let it be. So, no amen. Say, no amen. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that you should look at if your prayers are not being answered is how are you being called to give to the poor and you've shut your ears to their cries? You know, it's just something to look at. It's a possibility. This one, that one really affected me, actually. If you give to the poor, your needs will be supplied, but a curse upon those 
who close their eyes to poverty. Because see what happens is, poverty is so not in the kingdom of God. See, and when the kingdom of God breaks through, and this happens all around the world, when the kingdom of God breaks through into a nation, they start to get economically better. That's true with individuals. You see it all the time. Like the kingdom of God is all the spiritual things, all the gifts of the spirit, all the power of the spirit, but it's also very practical. And so when, when, when people help the poor, they're also doing kingdom work and the kingdom is breaking through. Jesus also taught us that how we treat the poor is a criteria for judgment at the end of times. This is just scary. I don't usually talk about this. This is about the goats and the sheep. And I'm not going to read all of this, but he tells the goats basically that, that depart from me, you're cursed, and go into the internal fire, which sounds like hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. And he says, you haven't done these six things. You haven't done six things. You haven't fed you haven't fed people you, when they've needed it. You haven't given them drink when they've needed it. You haven't cared for the stranger in your, you know, in your midst. You haven't, um, you haven't taken care of me when I'm sick. You haven't visited me in prison. I missed one. Clothes. You haven't clothed me when I needed it. And they said to him, you know, well, at another place in Matthew, they say, when, uh, maybe he says it here too, Oh, when did, I, when did we see you, all these six things? And he says, when you do it to the least of these, you do it for me and you didn't do it. So it seems like it's a criteria for judgment at the end times. Um, you know, it, it may even be saying you can't really be a follower of Jesus and have a hardened heart towards poor people. Yeah. It may be saying that. It sounds like it to me. It sounds like it. Um, I'm, as I said before, I'm really proud of the barn. I, um, I, I think you're amazing people. Um, I have learned a lot from you because I came from a situation, a family that had a hard heart towards poor people and felt that they deserved it if they were in that situation. Um, so I feel I've learned a lot from you, especially from you who are very practical. And, um, and, but I think we can, I feel it's a, we're on a growth spurt again. I feel there's a new thing happening, that we're on a new growth spurt. So how do our hearts grow? Oh, that's another good verse I missed. That's a really good verse. We have to do it. This is from John. This, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know we're believers of Jesus and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. The criteria is very strong there. So how do we grow? First of all, the good news is we can learn to be good. 
We can grow. We can keep growing and growing. Our heart, like the Grinch, can keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, there is no end to that. We need to learn to be merciful in many different ways. There may be groups that you don't want to be merciful to, and God says, it's time. Okay, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking God has groups that you have never actually wanted to minister to, and God says, I'm taking that wall down. These people you're going to care for. Um, But the first thing is we need to learn to be merciful. Mercy is a very great word in scripture. There's a lot of different words that go for that are that mean merciful, but one word is rakim, which means womb. And so what God is saying that the that the mercy that we have or that he has for people and that since we have his heart in living with us that we have for people is like a mother towards the child in her womb. Okay, in the New Testament, there's a word that means mercy that means the innermost parts. And that's talking about your, you know, your, your liver, your kidneys, your, all those parts in you, the bowels of you. And when Jesus looked at the crowd of people, he had compassion on them. He had mercy on them. And it was that word that everything inside of him just went out in compassion. See, that's where we need to get. And it may be that God will point you. I know we always talk about who do you have in your heart. And that's great. I'm sure everybody has somebody in your, in, you all have some people in your heart. But how about if God says, I want you to have that group in your heart? Then you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn to be, um, you're going to have to learn to be merciful. You know, you can, there's something strange about arguing and debating, and I see a lot of it on Facebook, and I don't do that. If you ever look, I don't debate on Facebook. There's something about debating. You'll never get mercy that way. You'll never feel compassionate by any group of people by debating. See, you can't have compassion for issues. It doesn't happen that way. You know how you grow in compassion? By knowing people. For instance, you know, you can, I can give you statistics right now on Cecil, on Cecil County. They're in real trouble with this heroin addiction. And I can give you statistics, and, and I could feel like, well, what's wrong with those kids? Or why is this happening? And, and be judgmental. Or I can feel like, you know, all sorts of things about them that may not help the issue at all. But I probably won't have compassion. Because statistics don't give you compassion. But let's say... I know somebody in Cecil County that is struggling with addiction. I know the person personally. Suddenly, compassion starts getting lit in me. Do you see? So, it's really, really important that we make it personal. We begin to love when we on purpose allow ourselves to step into suffering, to step into it, where we're face-to-face with the people who are suffering and we make relationships with them. It's amazing how the compassion that flows out and the love that flows out actually does hide a multitude of sin and we start fighting for that person and we love them and we are in anguish when they fall back and lose, you know, make wrong decisions again. But our love 
surrounds them, and we fight for them. The second thing is, I mean, you can, you know, I can take this VI course, I can teach today about it, but if I don't do something and take action, James says that's actually worse than being a murderer and an adulterer. That's like pretty heavy. And so I have to do something. And I know it's overwhelming. Um, Mother Teresa said, you know, someone said it's o- the, the need in India was so great. And she said, you know, this person said it's like um, just if you do one thing, it's like a drop in a lake. And she said, no, it's like a drop in an ocean. And she said, but if I didn't do what I did, it would be one less drop. Okay, so we have to do something. And just like this young woman that I saw that was so encouraging this week, just so encouraging, like you have no idea the mundane things. I mean, think of those six things. Feeding and drink, giving a drink and clothing and, and being hospitable to strangers and and I'm missing prison and sick, taking care of someone when they're sick. Those are mundane things. And you can do those things and come back and say, I didn't see any results. And you're exhausted. But you have no idea. I mean, those are the things that Jesus said. And he said it at least twice. He probably said it more. But those six things, he, keeps, he kept his pedal, his foot to the pedal. Now here's the church... I feel this is a dream of God's, and I feel that dream has been put in my heart. I have been really saddened by church history because, and I've said this before, I'll probably say it 10,000 times more. You often see churches that are really spirit-filled and love God and just will spend time just in his presence and, and you know, just and healing people and, and doing prophesying and all the things that a spirit-filled church does. My heart sings for that, okay? Just sings for that. But then you see other churches who don't do that, but they do a lot of practical things. You know, they'll feed the hungry and they'll have projects that they do and they'll, they'll do some amazing things for people. I want to see a marriage of those two. Because I think that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, as Dick said last week, it compels us to take it out and do the same things. Do what you do, but do it out there. And so for this church, the dream, the vision I have for it is that whatever you do, whether you prophesy or you um, give someone a meal, that those people will totally respect each other totally respect each other and love each other and not feel like the other one is less than the other. That we love each other and we do this as a team where everybody takes their place and does what they're meant to do in this kingdom. This is our job. You know, honestly, it's not our country's job. It's our job to do this. It's our job. And I really feel that this is what our church has been called to do. So, amen. amen. Father, I just, um, I come from before you just humble because I don't do much in this, Father. And Father, I really pray that um, you would 
give me, give me an idea of the good works that you have planned for me from the beginning of time, that you would do this for all my people here, that, Father, that we would be a vibrant group of people that, ha- that helps to break in the, the, the spirit of the kingdom of God breaks in and breaks in and breaks in and breaks in, that people, people that we touch, would, it, they would be impacted by the spirit and practically, both. Father, I just, um, I give you our future and I just really ask, Father, that our next decades, Father, would be even bigger and better than our past, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.